Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. This week, we're diving deep into the design fad of tablescapes, a phrase coined by British designer David Hicks in 1968. Simply said, tablescaping is the act of decorating a tabletop to communicate a specific theme, mood, or experience. Paying homage to this cozy art form, we've created our own tablescapes for discussion. Or not, and (laughs) we'll get into that. Maybe we have, maybe we haven't. We'll also chat about the history of tablescaping, best tips for tablescaping, and the wondrous world of tablescape competitions, which is really a whole new thing I learned about as we research tablescapes and I'm hooked. I, I'm so hooked. I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> I don't know why there's not already a reality TV show about it. Or why we haven't entered yet. <laughs> you and me as a team. <laughs> we, we we would crush the competition. I guarantee it. Yeah, I think we would because we both have qualities that I think the other craft struggles with. So I think together we're just an unbeatable combination. There's no way though that we wouldn't end each like competition with me pulling my hair out and you crying. I feel like I feel like, yeah, I feel like <laughs> oh, they yeah, end in tears. <laughs> I basically cry every day now. So <laughs> also we have some important announcements about our show at the end of the episode. So if you tend to dip once we start doing our rigmarole at the end, hang in there this time we have some important updates. Let's get started with what's making us feel cozy while we're still in quarantine people. Coronavirus is still a thing. Oh yes. Julian, can you kick us off? What's making you feel cozy during quarantine? So what's making me feel cozy this week is the Netflix competition series, The Floor is Lava. It just premiered in June, I believe. And it's not my typical fare of TV, but I love it because you don't have to think and it's very wholesome. So for those who aren't familiar, The Floor is Lava is this children's game where basically you can't touch the floor because it is lava. And so there's all these obstacles that you have to overcome. And the show mirrors this game in a spectacular way where they have created all these different rooms. There's like a planetarium obstacle course. There's a bedroom, a kitchen. And you have to see it for yourself. But basically they have teams and they're competing against other, honestly, teams. And they're not necessarily, I would say, people who are primed for reality TV, they're flight attendants, there were nurses and teachers. So just like a bunch of different groups of people who are competing. <laughs> people with no personalities. No, no, not, no. Those that's teachers. Not, no, that's not what I meant. All comp- all reality shows today are people who are were influencers. aching to be on TV. Okay, and I, even I, I take pretend that, Yes, even if they're pretending not to be. So for example, my, my bread and butter 90 Day Fiance those people I feel like are getting into these wild relationships strictly to be on the show. And there's so many instances of that. And so these people, that's why it was partly cozy. It's refreshing because they just like the game and they want to play and have fun. And that's, what's really cool about it. So I love to root for an underdog. I think that's cozy. Underdogs make you feel cozy. So the flight attendants, there's this one guy who was screaming every single step that he took And that just made me laugh because I didn't think that he was going to make it. I could see myself in him because I would definitely be screaming every single step that way. You (laughs) you have to jump on all these big obstacles. It's hard, hard to describe, but there's like this huge, big pyramid in one of them. And it's so slippery and you have to jump from really far away. And I'm just trying to imagine myself catapulting myself into this pyramid. And so do it. I really would. I know I'd be flipping the bird at everyone. I'd be screaming. I'd be crying. I would. It sounds like you'd be good TV. Someone get Jillian on the floor as lava. No, and so I wasn't um, playing Monday quarterback because that's kind of annoying when you watch these shows. Like, oh, I would have done that. I would have done this. For me, I'm just rooting for these average Joes. I want them to get to the other yeah. side. And it, it, yeah, it's just wholesome and really fun. There's a bunch of different episodes. So I recommend if you don't want to think, you want to root for an underdog, you want to go back to a pastime, a childhood game like The Floor is Lava, this show is for you. I'm so relieved to hear that there's a reality show out there that still has people who are just trying to enjoy themselves and not get ahead and become influencers or really ham it up for the cameras because they want, you know, their own spinoff or something. I'm so sick of that. And that, that's yeah. what was happening. Have you watched The Big Flower Fight on Netflix? It's that... Um, 
reality show around like uh, making big floral decorations and uh, like floral sculptures. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. I tried it. I watched a few episodes, but I think as much as the topic is interesting, although I kind of wish they had just gone generally toward landscape design, but I, I can understand how that might be just extremely cost prohibitive or even just ba- basic like f- floral design, I feel like would have been at least more like fascinating. Um, mm. Everyone on the show from the contestants to the judges is trying so hard to be like the next name X reality star who broke out. Like it's just, everyone's just doing the most. And I just ended up really disliking 75% of the contestants because I didn't feel like they were being real. They were just trying mm-hmm. to perform for the camera. That's no good. Yeah. As someone who consumes insane amount of reality tv it's become so tired i think producers are in this predicament where people who want to be on reality tv sometimes often make for good reality tv and that's a conundrum because viewers can often see through it if these people don't hide it well or producers don't hide it well enough some people just stumble into reality tv and they become they're perfect for TV, not even trying. And but those are rare occurrences and gems in this universe. Honey so, boo-boos, if you will. Well, now, I mean, we, oh, I could go on to it, all the spin-ups of Honey Boo Boo, as you know. Um, <laughs> they started off as gems, but when you try and milk a gem too much, you know, then you get some some pebbles, and it's that not good for anyone. honey, that's for sure. <laughs> all the honey's gone. <laughs> well, Jillian, my cozy thing this week is also television related but it's not a reality show it's a scripted comedy drama television series called love victor on hulu if that sounds familiar it's because yep it's a tv version of love simon but unlike a lot of um movie to television show adaptation they don't like pretend that the movie doesn't exist and and then just try to redo the movie in tv form Um, They actually expand upon the world. So Love, Simon happened and Love, Victor takes place in the exact same, in in the Love, Simon universe. (laughs) Oh, so is Simon make an appearance? Yeah, he does. So the, you know, the original actors, Nick Robinson and Keenan Lonsdale, they reprise their roles from Love, Simon. And uh, if you're not familiar, Love, Simon, I think that came out two years ago or yeah, right basically a, mo- a coming out movie. He's a gay teenager. And you know, how do you come out? Oh, people, I want, I'm in love with somebody, but it's anonymous love letters. Well, people know I'm gay, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and <laughs> love Victor is like the same thing. But what's interesting is that Victor is writing to Simon because his, because Simon's story got out and he was such a success story. And, and now Victor, who's a closeted queer person trying to figure out his own sexuality um, is leaning on Simon for support. It actually really works, I think. I think it's a really, you know, it's not blowing anybody's mind. It's not <laughs> it's not going to win any uh, Golden Globes or Emmys. <laughs> but it is just a really sweet teen show. And I thought it handled, like, the way that a teenager feels when they are trying to figure out their sexuality. I think that that, like, that felt true to me um, mm-hmm. as a gay person. So I felt like they, they captured that really well. And... Victor has different challenges than Simon did. And so that, that's another interesting thing, too, is that like he has a, a different family situation. He has a different school situation. And those things kind of make for a little bit more interesting TV. And so and he even has a dialogue with Simon about how their coming out stories are different. So I, I really am excited to see where the show goes. I thought the, all the actors are, are good and very charming. And I'm looking forward to season two of Love, Victor. Well, I love the movie... I love the movie Love, Simon. (laughs) Uh, And I I think it's a nice tie-in that he's writing to Simon. That does seem natural. I could actually see that happening in real life, like someone messaging someone on Instagram or Facebook and asking for advice. So I think that sounds like not too forced to keep the story going. Right, but less realistic is like that that person responds with really thoughtful messages that are really (laughs) gentle and and kind. (laughs) Well, I guess it's aspirational, but that's what's cozy about it. That's what's cozy, right? It's like, wow, there's like, it's really gay people supporting gay people out here. And that's, you know, not always the case. So, um, you know, (laughs) I I love living in that fantasy. (laughs) Well, I'll have to check it out. That does sound nice. I, I heard it got good reviews, so I'll check it out. All right, Jillian, shall we set the table? Oh, yeah, let's set it. So tablescaping (laughs) 
is such an amazing name <laughs> for anything. So I'm like, the, just the, the the name is so grand. Tablescaping. Well, I want to point out before we actually get into what tablescaping is that it's funny you mention how that name is quite grand because there was some dispute about who coined the word tablescaping. And I saw a lot of articles citing Andrew Cuomo's ex-wife, Sandra Lee, who I didn't know was a, a TV chef. So she is often cited as being the creator. But then I dug deeper into it because I think this, this sounds strange to me that this word just popped up in 2003 and just happened to be Sandra Lee. I was suspicious. So I went down a little rabbit hole and I found out that's actually David Hicks. And that was actually cited in a book. So I trust a book more so than the internet. And I believe it's David Hicks in 1968. So just have to throw that out there. It's not Sandra Lee, as many articles state. Sandra Lee doesn't need any additional credit (laughs) or things. (laughs) She already does semi-homemade cooking. So she doesn't need semi-credit for tablescaping. Yeah, so now we got that, the elephant out of the room. (laughs) (laughs) But the question remains, Julian, what is tablescaping? Well, tablescaping, unlike table setting, gives hosts the opportunity to create a distinct mood for their guests. Utilizing found objects or beloved trinkets or even new items, a tablescape typically has a theme and its job is to enhance the dining experience rather than eclipse it. The trend picked up in the 18th century when the wealthy lay their table with ornate silver baskets, long mirror trays called plateaus, flowers, and candelabras. As Mackenzie Griffin pointed out for an article published in Slate, in modern times, this trend has exploded in popularity, dominating Pinterest, Instagram, and lifestyle publications. From tablescapes featuring simple flowers and woodland decorations to scenes involving elaborate centerpieces, there are no specific rules for the tablescape. The only requirement is that it must come from your imagination. And speaking of imaginative tablescapes, nothing demonstrates this better than the competitive world of tablescaping, like the annual competition held at the LA County Fair. Limited to 20 tables only, the competition leans into kitsch and extravagance. Tables of years past to have paid homage to Mardi Gras, mermaids, and the play Wicked, to name a few ideas. And a special shout out to contestant Bonnie Overman, who has participated in every competition since 1997. Go, Bonnie. So, so there you go. I mean, I really didn't know that there was a competitive tablescaping. And I would say that that event for sure leans more into kitsch. Oh, yeah. I mean, I watched the video of the L.A. County Fair competition, and that's the one. Bonnie was in that video, too, right? Her table was an ode to the 50th anniversary of the Haunted Mansion, the attraction at Mm -hmm. Disneyland. I mean, as somebody who likes Halloween stuff, I was into it. But it's so funny because the judges are really looking at all of the minutia around how you put your plate down and... Well, if you have a cheese plate, where's your cheese knife? And they're looking for all those little details, even down to like, are there smudges if there's any kind of glassware? They're looking for the smudges, okay? They're really detail-oriented. Meanwhile, the table has like a skull inside of a crystal ball on it. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's I just know. this strange mix of high and low. It's like so fancy, but it's so kitsch. And it's kind of like, it's just a beautiful mess of expectations, it's like, <laughs> I, I really loved the entire like concept of this competition. And I, I do agree with you, Julian. We should enter and I think we'd win <laughs> because I think we have that kind of, we're detail oriented, but we're also corny. And I think like that's like really what you need for this type of thing. I agree because I think you would do really well with all the specific requirements. That's where I would fall flat on my face. I would have things that didn't belong there. I would be missing all the, you know, the requirements of space and all those little details. Um, and I think that you also have a great sense when it comes to that, like creating those, um, special scenes, especially in terms of holiday. And I think you, you lean into kitsch as well. So I think we make a great team. The problem is there's a waiting list, which is oh my goodness. R- really tickles my fancy. Cause that's just hilarious. Imagining all these people all over waiting to enter. One day the, I'll get to escape a table. Yeah, I know. But it has also cracked me up. If you haven't already, CBS, I think Sunday this morning or something like that, the video I'll have to look and confirm. But um, 
it's funny when you watch that video because you have all the contestants just complaining about all the things that they got judged for and yeah. they're like i'm gonna speak to the judges about this no exactly <laughs> and, it's and <laughs> it's really funny and in that video you see a judge take away points from a team because their little coffee container i'm like i'm blanking on the actual name for that like a carafe or whatever didn't have a trivet underneath it <laughs> and and that's what made them not win is because they were missing a trivet. And it's just so interesting because it isn't almost... It, it, the the display as, is as equally weighted as the actual just like logistics of setting a table. And it, it's, it's a really interesting thing. I think you really have to look at the rubric because it's, not everything that seems to get ahead in the competition is the prettiest or most interesting idea. But it's like, it's that balance between like, yes, it's a cool concept and it's well done, but also they really set the table really well. <laughs> I know some of these tables were so imaginative, creative, and I love that about tablescaping. You can create your own mini worlds. I think that's so neat and interesting because there are those tablescapes that just look pretty. I mean, you've all seen them on Instagram or at weddings and they have a lot of flowers and fairy yeah. lights. And I don't want to discount those tablescapes because they're beautiful as well. But this one is really leaning into the best parts of your imagination or I could see people planning out or plotting these scenes for months in advance. I'm sure they do perhaps years in advance and, and really paying tribute to something you love, which is very cozy. They're really just these big altars basically to whatever they're representing. Yeah. And some of the ideas are just really cute. Like, Oh, it's an alien landed on the table or, um, some of them are just kind of basic, like a, a picnic, but they're really cute and thoughtful and well done. It's a whole scene. Mm -hmm. Some of them have like that theme, like I said, about like th they go into a pop culture thing, like the Haunted Mansion. I, it's interesting, too, because you imagine actually sitting down to have a meal at these tables. Like if you actually were to eat at them, you wouldn't you, you put your arm out for your glass and you would knock over like <laughs> 10 little decorations. <laughs> it would be uh, impossible to eat at these tables and talk to each other. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what differentiates this competition versus everything else in tablescaping because like I mentioned your tablescape should enhance the dining experience it really shouldn't overshadow it and I think that if you had one of you sat like you said sat at one of these tables like the Titanic table which is so very interesting but you don't want your conversation to completely surround the table and I think that would happen if you had one of these tables and put it into real life yeah you'd only talk about the table <laughs> yeah so which is not what you want at a dinner party it's just I, I think tablescapes are so special because they do create that mood and dinner parties are so fun and part of that fun is just you remember the mood and the vibe or hopefully and creating it i like to make things pretty if i can so yeah um i, I think that's that's fun I remember the tablescapes of my, the holidays of my youth. That's not a joke. I really, they, they stick out to me, like the Thanksgiving dinner setup that my aunt put out for Thanksgiving any given year. Like, I remember that, like the kind of the fake leaves she'd put out. It's funny because it's really, it's a small detail, but it adds so much care to mm -hmm. the, the hosting role. And it's just clear that you're in good hands when you have a, a really well-scaped table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean that that bleeds into the tablescaping tips. Um, it's what David Hicks, the true inventor of the tablescape, he said in his book David Hicks on Living with Taste, what is important is not how valuable or inexpensive your objects are, but the care and feeling with which you arrange them. So it's always important that your tablescapes have a dash of heart and feeling, which is kind of what you described. You know, you don't have to be a designer. You don't have to have a background in art and really know what looks good per se. You just have to, you know, put your best foot forward into it and want to create a loving and inviting space for those people you care about. And I'm the same way with my, my mom. She always, I posted a picture of Instagram and Thanksgiving table. Is it like the most gorgeous table out there? No, but I know that she was excited to do it. She likes to do mm -hmm. those things. And that's what I remember. I always, I asked her, I text her, it's like, can you please send me some pictures of your tablescapes? I know she had a bunch of them because that's part of her pastime. That's something she looks forward to. Yeah. My mom always does a really great job setting the table for 
not not for Christmas dinner even, although it's there, but that tablescape is there pretty much through the entire holiday season. <laughs> but I love it. Like it just it's so festive and mm-hmm. I really and I usually will help her um most years when I'm home set it up and and kind of figure out a way that it can stay up and also not be in our way because there is a balance to it. So so speaking of that, like in terms of like more approachable tablescapes that are functional as well as pretty what are the the tips so the first thing is to decide and stick to a theme so that's pretty easy when you're doing holiday stuff because if you're gonna do christmas maybe you want it to center around snowmen or maybe for thanksgiving you want to center on leaves and all that kind of fall decor so that's easy when you're doing um a holiday event. But when you're doing something like a summer tablescape and a spring tablescape, and I focus my tablescape on summer, I think that's a little bit more difficult because you don't want to just go into the default of a bunch of flowers. And so we can get into that a little bit later when I talk about mine. But um, so that's the first and foremost. So stick to a theme, have an idea in your head of what you want to go for. And also another thing that I was thinking about mulling over in my head, I don't know if you agree, but I think when it comes to winter versus summer tablescapes for winter go big and do more because you want to have it kind of contrast what's the season so winter is bare you know when you're thinking about the actual season snow on the ground no leaves on the trees etc so you want your tablescape to contrast that feeling and then for the summer if you're having an outdoor tablescape you don't want to compete with nature itself. So go for yeah. something more simple. I so think that's I, really clever. Yeah. I, yeah. I totally so I was think, thinking about that way. So I think go with the big or go home in the winter and then summer go small. I think you're right that like in the summer, nature itself is flourishing and you just kind of want an airy space on your table to, you know, put down the refreshing drinks that you're serving and stuff like that. You don't really want to get too lost in a huge display on the table. Yeah, 100%. And I think winter tablescapes obviously are more conducive to being indoors. You want it, your room to feel full and in, inviting and summer, like you mentioned, is more eerie and free. And so just something to keep in mind for your tablescapes going forward. So another thing to keep in mind is to pick a base. So I was reading a bunch of different articles on this, and I don't know what your thoughts are, Matt, but they said to pick one base and by base, I mean a table runner cloth, or if you're going to do placemats, a lot of tips that I saw said not to go for placemats. So it seems like you want to go for one cloth kind of base. That's interesting because a lot of the tablescapes I saw in kind of getting to know what those are included placemats. Mm -hmm. I could see that. I mean, I think all of those things, could be overwhelming. I do think if you do all of them, I think winter is the time to do it. Because again, you know, more is more in the winter. I do think it would look, it's almost like there's a weird, like empathetic, like, oh, the table is hot (laughs) (laughs) when it's warm out and it's covered in all this linen. I agree. It doesn't seem right. I would say definitely for like spring and summer, I wouldn't want all that cloth on the table. Oh yeah. Um, No, I I agree. I think you're right that with, in winter, all those three elements would make it very cozy. But yeah, I'm wondering, I I could see kind of a runner and placemats going well together, but maybe the, you know, the overall tablecloth just seems a little, I don't know, old fashioned. I always struggle with any kind of linen on the table because even just being generally lazy around (laughs) cleaning that, because I feel like even my mom is like really good at like, she has a fresh tablecloth on the table and place and placemats. And I always feel bad because I'm like, how do I eat on this? Cause I know I'm going to drop something. And now the table mat <laughs> yeah. is, is dirty and I have to wash it. You know what I mean? I, and I know that's kind of the point, but it's like, I'd rather the food fall on the table. It's so much easier to clean than this cloth. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. And I think through this experience or exercise, I realized I don't have any of those things. I don't even have cloth napkins. <laughs> I don't know what how the, hell, how the hell I'm living, but um, it needs to be better. <laughs> so uh, maybe I'll upgrade after this. But so, yeah, so that's one of the, the things to consider. Another thing is varying heights. 
So this is something I had not previously thought about. I, whenever I would set a table, it's just basically everything is the same height. Yeah, I might have a few decorations here and there, but they're mostly, they're all symmetrical or same height. So that's important. You want to have your, your eye to move around the table, which makes sense because in a room or even in, you know, a painting or whatever, you want your eye to move around and be active. So that's something to consider. What do you we usually have on your mom's tablescapes when it comes to height? She's really good at varying that. I mean, she'll typically have a a lower to the ground, like kind of floral thing happening, like a basket with maybe, I'm thinking about Christmas right now, but like that, mm-hmm. that'll be like some sort of, you know, like evergreen display in there, holly and stuff like that. And then on the side, especially like wherever, wherever their people aren't sitting, there's usually a taller thing with candles in it. And then usually closer towards like where people are, are situated, there will often be like different levels of like votive holders or like candles, but there is a variation in height there. But I think, I think the key is you don't want anything to be in the way of your guests where they can't talk to each other or interact without like looking around something that's on the Mm. table. That's that will just get moved (laughs) because at a certain point people will get annoyed and just like, move it out of the way and they'll now they'll just tamper it with your tablescape that's an excellent point so i think you really just want i think in general you do want things to be just like not in anybody's eye line and if you're going to have something tall on your table it ought to be like i'm imagining like let's say you do have a table that's like close to a wall or something or there's a side of the table that's more for like serving dishes you can put something tall there but like anywhere where there's two people sitting across from each other don't be obnoxious, like have it be below eye level, anything you put there. Yeah, that's a, that's a great tip because sometimes you can get so invested in your tablescape that you're not thinking about your guests and it's not fun having to crane your neck around a candlestick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then that, goes, that actually goes into our next point, which is to minimize clutter because you don't want your table to feel too busy and I think this also applies to fashions for example you're not going to wear a zany shirt with like yellow bright yellow jeans or something like that you know you want you have let have one thing really speak I know a few people who do that (laughs) it's a little too much because I I think you know you could have a really cool shirt and that's really unique and what what have you and then you should pair that with something that's understated so just black jeans or you know, and so that you can let that piece of fashion really shine. And I feel like that's the same thing for tablescapes. Which is funny though, because so many of the competitive tablescapes were like the definition of clutter. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I think the competitive world tablescaping is so different than the art of tablescaping. So you really got to pick your poison, right? You're going (laughs) to want to go for something that's more elevated, which I think comes with its own set of problems. Or do you just want to go pedal to the metal and have a really kitschy? (laughs) I think in general, just like go functional. You know, you want people to really, the table should be, you want people to notice it and be like, wow, this is really beautiful, but you don't want it to like draw so much attention that it's, you know, annoying. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I struggled with when I was making my tablescape because I did opt for simplicity, but I had this urge and desire to put more and put more. And, you know, I, that that was a struggle. So I think minimizing clutter is probably one of the hardest things you can do with a tablescape because I think our urge is always to do more because we're, you know, anxious about not doing enough um, opposed to the opposite. So that was a struggle for me. I'm sure many other people as well. I think one way to avoid that, is to choose neutral plates. And I don't know if your mom, if she chooses festive plates, my mom usually does. It has some kind of, for example, fall, they'll have like leaves on the outer edge of the plate and whatnot. But a tip that I read is that you should choose white plates or some other neutral tone so that it gives you room for creativity elsewhere in your table. I think it's a great tip. I'll get into what I did (laughs) or didn't do uh, in terms of tablescaping. Um, and I think plates were our big factor. You know, if you have very loud plates, it really does limit what you can do down the road because mm-hmm. they kind of define the theme and then you are, are designing around the plate and you're not really designing around the concept you want to be desi- you want to be addressing. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah. You don't want to be a prisoner of your plate. <laughs> <laughs> An article about tablescaping by Jillian Walters. <laughs> 
Yeah. So no, don't be prisoner. And um, that's what I chose for mine. And I guess now we can go into our, our tablescapes. Yeah. So I'll go first because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's the disappointing beginning. Oh, um, no. <laughs> so this is what happened, uh, dear listener. We, when we were thinking about the tablescaping episode and I really loved it and I loved the concept and I watched the video and these, these wacky people competing, I was like, I got to <laughs> do that. I want to do a tablescape. I don't know what it was. I just didn't feel like I had the necessary materials at home to do a tablescape that would I would feel proud posting on the internet and being like, hey, all things cozy Facebook group, look at this. <laughs> and <laughs> I guess I got in my own head, Julian, because I just, I didn't make a tablescape is, is what I'm getting to because I just didn't feel like I had the materials or the creativity to do one at this time. And I was, I, I think I just, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you always sell I, yourself short. I failed everybody, but um, I, I do think it's it's worth talking about like where I got caught up in my tablescaping adventure or lack thereof. So my plan was to go to Target this past weekend. I was looking for some staples because I haven't really been out of the house yeah, <laughs> that same. much. And so, um, and they had uh, Clorox wipes at Target. I was like, whoa, this is a really lucky day. <laughs> and while I was there, I was, you know, my, my second mission was to find things I wanted to, to tablescape with because my plates goes back to the plates. And this is why you should have neutral plates. I have like Fiesta, like <laughs> plates that are all sorts of different colors and I love them. They're very pretty, but you know, they're lime green and red and purple and yeah, blue and it's, it's very colorful, but it's like, I was like, okay, those plates are good for summer anyways. I can do a colorful summer theme. And I went to Target and I just couldn't find anything that supported that idea. Like, and the stuff I did find was so cheapy. Like, here's a serving bowl for um, your crappy pool party, like a $20 piece of plastic. I was like, I was shocked by these prices. I couldn't believe what they were charging for a basic plastic bowl that probably cost them like a dollar to make max. Mm. And there's like $20. Like, sorry, I digress. No, I mean, so, yeah, Target, especially this past Halloween, I noticed they're charging a ton of money for not great decorations. Anyway. So I just couldn't find anything I liked that supported it. I didn't feel like I had anything at home and I just didn't feel like I had like, I think I, I got too invested in that competitive tablescaping. <laughs> <laughs> video where I was like, oh, I can't do that to that level. And rather than try and fail, I just didn't do it. <laughs> well, I think it just goes to show that we've definitely obviously known each other for a long time because when you texted me, I you didn't, I think, specifically say that. But I had a feeling that that was partly the reason, which I think is a, a credit to your amb ambition and you know, drive, you really want to go above and beyond. And like you said, that, that competitive tablescaping video was very aspirational. <laughs> and, and I had in my mind as well, in my vision for my tablescape, like, oh, it's going to be so amazing. And, you know, I think the Jillian Walters story is it was better in my head. <laughs> That's <laughs> truly what it was like, oh, it's going to be better than it actually came out. But I know this coronavirus makes things harder also to get decoration because if I had gone to Michael's, oof, it would have been a different situation. Yeah. That that's like the home base for decoration. Right. I went to the wrong place, but again, I just sort of felt like I couldn't justify going to Michael's at, at no. during, I don't know, during a pandemic, it just felt like Exactly. So we're I'm, limited. I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself and others at risk for what? <laughs> <a> table scheme. <laughs> You know, um, yeah, and so I, I, and then shopping online for this kind of stuff, I really feel like you have to see it in person to kind of like look at the texture. And I know I'm taking it too seriously, but I'm like, I'm thinking too if, I, if I'm adding it to like my personal collection of tablescaping materials, I want it to be something I can reuse. And I don't know, I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared. But you know what? Like I, I, I owe everyone a tablescape when the holidays roll around, or I, I really have a, a a natural reason to be tablescaping. I will make a note to photograph it and make up for my lack of a tablescape for this well, episode. Well, what was your theme that you had in mind that you were going to go for? I planned on doing like a summer theme around the idea of it just being fresh and airy and kind of basic around flowers. <laughs> but I wanted That's to think nice. about like something I could actually, stuff I could leave on the table. I wanted to find a nicer fruit bowl 
that could you know that could be on the table because I typically have like um, a bowl of fruit on our table that is just in a bowl that's pretty basic. And I thought I could find something better for summer than than this bowl and kind of put something like do some flowers and then with that really colorful plateware. I felt like it would really pop in terms of the, the color and freshness. And I was thinking about finding a tablecloth too that was like kind of airy and and had like a summer feel. Yeah, it sounds lovely. But I, I just couldn't find anything I liked. And then I, I'm like looking at it and I'm like, wow, this is expensive for some junk. I just, you know, I, don't, I, I guess like what I learned is if you're going to tablescape, don't go to Target because they just have a lot of junk for too much money. Yeah, a lot of junk. That's what I've been realizing. Target's really going downhill. I think you had a great vision in mind and it's, I think you hit the nail on the head of the summer tablescape, bright colors, making things pop. And I'm sure when you do make your tablescape, it's going to be lovely and beautiful, but we were working with limited materials as you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> so I, for my tablescape, I did not leave my home. Um, just because like, I would love to go to Michael's, like you said, but is it, is it <laughs> worth, you know, risking people's lives? Heck not. Vulnerable populations need Michaels to themselves, okay? Yes. They don't need us youngins tracking coronavirus through the aisles and putting it on all the wreaths and everything that they're trying to make. <laughs> you know, if, you, <laughs> if you're crafty and young, buy online so all of the old people can peruse um, Michaels safely. Yes, and the day we all return will be a beautiful day. I didn't know how much I miss Michaels now that I'm talking about it. <laughs> So, so, Jillian, walk us through your tablescape. Okay. So, I think my tablescape started with this vision of using dried coffee grounds, which is bizarre. But I put out coffee grounds in my house because I have two cats, and I just like to keep I keep keep things fresh. So, I reused our coffee grounds. And this the coffee grounds I had used had lost the scent by them because obviously we want people to sit at the table and be smelling coffee. So they had lost their smell. They'd been sitting out for a week and I did this purposely. And so that was going to be my landmass. And the landmass would be in the middle of my table. And on top of it, forgive me if I mispronounce, I try I looked up on YouTube prior, but I forgot. Gashapone toys. So I got them in Japan when I visited in November of last year, and I love these little figurines or toys. So basically, they're almost like gumball machines. They're all around the area, and they're higher quality than toys you would get um, in these machines in the U.S. So it's a beautiful little house and this bowl of food, and I posted it on Instagram today so this is before the episode's airing and I put it on top of my landmass my coffee ground so everything had to go around this theme and so I like I said earlier I don't have cloth napkins so I thought okay an easy way to work around that would be to have uh, chopsticks I'll just put on top of my plate so I chose white plates going with the simple theme and then I realized I need a pop of color. So I looked in my closet and I saw this red tissue paper and I was like, oh, that's great. Cause that's a nice pop of color and it contrasts well with my landmass coffee grounds <laughs> and my little toys on top. And so I fashioned my own napkins with red tissue paper. And then I placed the chopsticks on an angle on top of the uh, tissue paper. And then I got some votive candles, just had a nice little glow and then I got some candlesticks for the height. And these are some candlesticks I picked up at a thrift store and I've had for a really long time. And I put some little crystals inside the, the holder and there are these white crystal, just because uh, I like crystals, <laughs> has, has no um, connection to really anything else. And then after that, I added some thin green leaves just to add some different texture to my tablescape. And what I realized is that I think my scene was too small for my table. And I'm going to try to make this tablescape outside on my mini table out there. Because I think that this scene would fit for a smaller space. And I think that goes back to the tips. If you have a smaller scene, don't put it on a big table. So I, I'll, I'll try my hand at it again. But I just had this vision of the coffee grounds being a landmass. And then my gashapon toys on top of that. And trying to make a cute little 
small life scene. I think you're selling yourself short. I'm looking at the picture right now, and the the color choices I think are really smart. I love the red and green. The the candles are really pretty and add like the perfect amount of light. I like I like the crystals and the and the candle holders. I have like a vintage feel. And there's kind of just a a general like cohesion around the color, which I think is really great. I think if there's one thing I and I don't I actually don't even think it's too small for your table. I I, I just think if I'm sitting where the plates are at the table, mm-hmm. which is on either end of it. I want to see the full width of the landmass, and so I kind of feel like it mm. would be it would just maybe fit a little bit better if you just um, kind of turned it ninety degrees so that ah. the the landmass is is kind of between the people, and obviously like you know you can see over it it's it's like not like tall, um, but then it would it would it would have a nice presence on the table for everybody and kind of create like a nice centerpiece. That's a great idea. That's actually a really really awesome idea. I even might get more coffee grounds and do it diagonally to both diagonal spots and add more little toys and it would be a real scene. Who knows? I'll, I'll play around with it, but that's a, that's a really great idea because I don't want it to be too center and matchy-matchy and things like that. So Stay tuned. Nice the next idea. time I, I go to <laughs> Jillian's apartment... <laughs> <laughs> it may be completely covered in coffee grounds. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, and I this is not dirt. I I I don't think it looks <laughs> I don't think it looks like dirt, but I texted him and I said it's not dirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to put more leaves and make like a a chain of leaves, but I felt too uncomfortable. So <laughs> there's all these bamboo trees. There's these you've been to my barn. There's a ton of bamboo trees and the neighbor next door, it's always cleaning up the extra leaves because bamboo trees, they grow at an insane rate. And there's yeah. all these leaves dropping, what have you. And so actually the night that I made this, she was cleaning up the leaves and I so badly wanted to ask her, but I didn't want to. Oh my God, pop- can I have your leaves? <laughs> I know, yeah, but I didn't want to pop my head through the little hole of our fence. <laughs> can I have your leaves? <laughs> I'm making a tablescape. So I was just like in my driveway picking up leaves that have fallen over our wall. And I'm like, oh, my God, these people are probably my neighbors. Too timid for the the real primo leaves. I know. So I think that would have made it better. But that's, you know, that's my little story. But I'm looking forward to see your tablescape. I think yours is going to be magnificent. I just know it will be. (laughs) No, I doubt it. I, I just but yeah, I think. I kind of wish I had tried like something, but I just, I got in my own head, you know, sometimes you can be your own worst enemy when it comes yes. to tablescaping. <laughs> it's true. All right. Well, we hope you're inspired by our tablescaping discussion. It certainly is an extremely cozy activity and it's really cozy just learning about it and seeing what people come up with. It's a very creative mm-hmm. practice. So try it out. Like we would love to see your tablescape. So if you have a favorite one from a, a holiday past or you made one special just for us, Post it to our Facebook group. We want to see it. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you guys came up with. And I hope you learned something about tablescaping. I certainly did. That Sandra Lee did, had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I know. It's funny. The articles called her, well, she was Andrew Cuomo's girlfriend at the time. So it's funny to think about also how her life has changed <laughs> since <laughs> 2003. Haven't, haven't all of our lives <laughs> changed <laughs> Drastically. dramatically since then? Yes, very true. Well... It's time to wind down and and reflect on those past, (laughs) all the years that are behind us with some soothing sounds. My soothing sound is a song by John Prine, who unfortunately passed away this past April from COVID-19 complications. He was a very uh, prolific and famous folk musician and he's really known for his stripped down and earnest and insightful lyrics and music he can really just get to the heart of the matter like his lyrics they just they cut straight to the bone oftentimes that that triggers really cozy emotions and he i think he just Mm -hmm. gets to some core aspects of humanity really well as a writer yeah it's so sad that he died it's a big loss but he gave us so much beautiful music to enjoy And we have one final song from him, which is my soothing sound called I Remember Everything. And there's always that way that the last song a musician produces, you know, often posthumously um, Mm -hmm. or barely. Like I'm thinking of like David Bowie's Black Star, 
stuff like that, where like you, they, they seem so like, I mean, in Black Star's case, he really, he knew he was dying. And so that really colors the album. But, you know, when you're in your 70s, like John Prine, it's on your mind for sure. And, and mm-hmm. I, I think even though that's, he wasn't terribly old when he died, um, but he had a lot of health issues in the past. So the song really is kind of this nice look back at, at memories in the past. And let's take a listen to I Remember Everything by John Prine. I've been down this road before I remember every tree Every single blade of grass Holds a special place for me And I remember every town And every hotel room And every song I ever sang On a guitar out of tune I remember everything Things I can't forget The way you turned and smiled on me On the night that we first met And I remember every night Your ocean as a blue How I miss you in the morning light Like roses miss the dew it makes me want to cry, but in a good way, in a cozy way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's very, what's the word? Um, nostalgic? It's nostalgic. It's... Bittersweet? I think bittersweet's the perfect word. Hmm. It's like, it, you know, he's looking back on moments in his life, and I think it's so pretty that the things he's remembering are those small moments. And the blades of grass and the tree and those small things that make up life and and the eyes of the person he loves and remembering those things rather than like, you know, big events or accomplishments or stuff like and I I just think it gets to again, he just sort of really cuts to the core of like what it feels like to be human and, Mm -hmm. and the things that really matter at the end of the day. And I think it's a very beautiful final song from John Prine. Yeah, I think that was beautifully said, and uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's if there has to be a send off, this would be, you know, an appropriate and lovely one. So thank you for sharing. I didn't, I didn't know, I wasn't aware of that song, but I will definitely be listening to the full version after this. Jillian, how about you? What is your soothing sound? Well, I don't know how people are going to feel about this because <laughs> it. It's not necessarily a song of disappointment, but it's a song about feeling like you're always falling short. And it's called Grand Plan by Dan Kroll. And he wrote and made this song after he moved to L.A. And he just felt like, especially being such a creative city where people are always, you know, striving to get some somewhere, he felt like he just wasn't making it. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And especially as you get into these turning points in your life, it's common. And maybe this relates to you, Matt, feeling with the, um, the tablescape, like you just couldn't do that. You just <laughs> fell short. But sometimes when your feelings are said aloud by someone else, especially someone in, in a creative way, it makes you feel a little less lonely. And I think that's cozy. So it's not necessarily a cozy, cozy lyrics. It's not necessarily a cozy sentiment, but the way he sings it is, it's, it's, it's a little comforting in a way. And so, you know, Grand Plan by Dan Kroll. Everyone's out making money And I'm eating out the jar Everyone's creating art in high places But I've barely left the chair It all feels incomplete, but I never admit defeat. I'll be coming back from way behind. Everyone's got a grand plan, but I barely come prepared. I, I definitely um, have felt that emotion, feel it often, <laughs> whether it's with tablescaping or every, anything else. Like It reminds me actually of like the current situation we're in right now where even even though the world is like a tumultuous place and there's a lot of difficult challenging stuff happening 
so many people still seem to go online and tout all the things that they're accomplishing and working on and, and all the power to them, but it can make you feel sometimes like, what's wrong with me that I can't work this hard? <laughs> like, what am I doing mm-hmm. wrong? And it kind of gets to the heart of that, that feeling. I do like when he gets a little more positive with it and says like, but I'll be coming from way behind. I like, I like that sentiment. Yeah. And I think it's just a reminder. It's okay to be where you are, wherever that might be. And part one of the lyrics made me chuckle or it's like, you know, everyone's making art in high places, but I barely left the chair, which is like this, this, <laughs> the, 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 the slogan of my life. I barely left this chair. That's where I write from the that'll couch. Be, that'll be your epitaph. <laughs> yeah. I barely left the chair by Jillian. <laughs> but yeah, he has, like you said, he has a really beautiful and nice voice and he has a new album coming out of the same name. So it's also called uh, Grand Plan. It's coming out in August. We'll check so that out by, yeah. by Dan Cruel, Grand Plan. Well, you know, you don't have to leave the chair to do podcasting. So <laughs> joke's on him. <laughs> this week, I have the candle we'll be sniffing for our candle review. I'm I'm coming from behind <laughs> with some candles finally. How to describe the cocoa by stone candle, Jillian? Ooh. Cocoa by stone is a coconut wax candle. Um this scent is white tea. And um tea is in like the drink, not like a t-shirt. Um and We've actually reviewed a stone candle bar candle before. We did the reclaimed wine bottle one. Oh yeah. Um, on this podcast. This is an, another flavor of candle that I don't believe we've done. They spout this coconut wax as being very clean burning. Evidently it has less soot than a I guess a paraffin wax or what have you. Soy. I don't know. I don't, I don't know where the soot levels are in terms of the ratings, but apparently <laughs> coconut coconut wax is cleaner or more environmental. Makes I don't sense. know. Um, I just feel like every other candle says that they're more environmental. They call this yeah. one e- eco-chic. Um, yeah, I never know what that means. I, I could be inhaling smog. I don't know what, I don't know the difference. Yeah, who, who knows? But Stone Candle Bar is based in Santa Monica, California. So it is a local business. It's, business, it's a father-son operation. And so you see them all around LA, but I, I don't know how much they've grown past the Southern California region. What I really think is great about the company, just before we go into the candle itself, is they work with a program called the Exceptional Children's Foundation, which is a nonprofit organized to devote um, creating opportunities for people with disabilities. Hmm. And with that foundation, they created a program called Light for Life Cause. So basically, when they're making their candles, they hire adults with disabilities to make the candles. They train them how to make candles, and that becomes a job for them. And in, in terms of trying to find employment for adults with disabilities. So actually, they, they say that 60% of their workforce um, is from that program. That's amazing. So the candles also support employing adults who have uh, significant disabilities and, and making sure that, that you know, they have income. So I thought that was a nice um, altruistic element to their company. For sure. Now to the candle itself. Before I burned it, so the candle is like in this very like all white packaging and, and grays. It's very neutral toned. It's a white candle and which makes sense. It's white tea, I guess. Um, and it smelled like a box of nerds when it was unlit, like the, like the, the hard candy, like oh, it was, yeah. it, it was that sugary smelling. Do you know what I mean? like, like that fruity sugar smell? Well, maybe it's the grapefruit tonic scent coming through. That, yeah. So, okay. They described it as a heart of harvested white tea leaves garnished with sprigs of spearmint, fresh orange slices and grapefruit tonic. Sounds and when they put fresh. it that way, I really do feel like I'm getting a ton of grapefruit. It's really fruity. I'm not really getting any tea, but I don't know to what extent I, there would be a white tea scent. So it is very citrusy and and kind of sweet. It's a, it's a citrusy sweet candle. I don't I, I don't know. I, I mostly am getting like a sugar scent. I don't know if it, if the, if the coconut wax itself is also contributing to that. Is it overbearing? Um, sweet? No, it's not overbearing. It's not overbearing. And I'm even in a small room where it could be. So it is light and airy. It's not too overbearing. I, I, it's, it's a good, it's delivering, I think, what it, I don't know what I expected with a white tea candle, to be honest. <laughs> well, I, I think the white tea leaves would probably tone down the other intense fruity smells that you're getting. Yeah. So maybe when it burns a little bit further, you'll hit that spot. Yeah. It's a, you know what? It's a nice light citrusy scent. And it does kind of remind me of like, some orangey scents I've enjoyed and it's not overbearing. So I think I'd give it a wick, honestly, in terms of delivering a scent that is like very fresh, but not overbearing. 
I'll have to check it out. I mean, we love a candle company that gives back. So this is really awesome that you just, that we, you know, reviewed this company again, because that's amazing what they do. If you're interested, the, again, it's Cocoa by Stone, Stone Candle Bar uh, based in Santa Monica, California. Awesome. Thank you for getting that candle. All right. So before we wind down our episode, we have um, some important updates about our show and our, our program, if you will. <laughs> um, and we have our shout outs, don't worry, for after this little update, which you probably a lot of listeners are already aware of because of updating social media and we've, we've let our all patrons know just in case you're unaware. And so we're all on the same page to avoid the, the summer heat, <laughs> <laughs> all things cozy. Uh, we'll be finding a cool cave to hibernate for the summer. So we are going to be taking off um, the rest of July and August to kind of recuperate. So we can really come back with strong fall and winter episodes for you just to conserve our energy for the coziest seasons, right? Of fall and winter. And don't worry, though, okay, we're not going anywhere. Our feed will still be updated with listeners' favorite episodes, so some reruns, which I'll be recording some intros for. So just make sure everyone knows that we're coming back and just to stay tuned. We'll be back um, in September with new episodes. And if you are interested in voting for, like, which episodes we re-replay over the summer, so there'll be three rerun episodes, one in July and then two in August head to our Facebook group and there'll be a poll by the time this episode drops that you should be able to participate in and vote for what episode you'd like to hear again. So that's the plan. We're going to take a, a little bit of a hibernation for the next month and a half. But again, we will be back in your ears with new cozy episodes in September. So don't go anywhere. Do not unsubscribe. <laughs> Do not unsubscribe. We will be back with new episodes. We are just taking a cozy little cat nap. Yeah, we really look forward to coming back in the fall and September just because those are some of the coziest months of the year. And we want to find new creative ways to deliver that cozy fall content and winter and Christmas and all that good stuff. So we're going to be hard at work this summer, even though we're taking a break, we're going to be really mapping out how I want the podcast to move forward. And we're so appreciative of you guys sticking with us. Yeah. We just need some, some tinker time to <laughs> yeah, tinker around with little elves. Exactly. <laughs> so we're going to go to Santa's workshop for the summer. Also an update for our patrons. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. We really appreciate it. You know, I we don't know what we do without you. Um, thanks again for always being there for our show, and we hope you continue to be. Um, but just to be fair, because we're not releasing new episodes in August, we'll be pausing the Patreon subscription. So you won't be charged for August. We didn't think it would be fair since we won't have new episodes in August. Um, so you shouldn't see any um, money come out of your account in August. But in September, when we're back... We'll resume the Patreon. Yes. Thank you, guys. That's our updates. And that brings us to our shout outs. We're going to kick it off with speaking of Patreon. Uh, Miriam, thank you for your generous increase. That's really kind of you. We appreciate it so much. And also thanks to everyone who's been sharing just amazing content. The Facebook group is popping, as we like to say um, over here at ATC. But um, a special shout out to Ashley C., for sharing a link to cozy background sounds. I listened to that winter walk kind of soundboard that you posted. Check it out if you haven't. It's this yeah. customizable soundscape. And she's right. If you turn up the, the winter steps, it just like adds an, another element and it's total ASMR. So if you're like an ASMR head and you really like that like sensation in your brain, check out this winter walk that Ashley posted in our Facebook group because it really does work for that kind of thing. Yeah, I was so pumped when I saw it because I'm tired of all the rain sounds, not to dunk on rain, but I want something a little different. And speaking of something a little bit different, uh, we got some great book recommendations from Joshua S., a Downtown Abbey cocktail book, which I didn't know existed, and then Gina S., Eat Like a Gilmore, obviously from Gilmore Girls, which and it's another book I didn't know existed, but what I realized through this thread and you guys sharing the books that all of our listeners have amazing taste because everyone <laughs> in the thread said, yeah, I had that book and I got that book. And so you guys all have the same bookshelves, which is so sweet and, and cute and funny. So thank you to everyone in general who participates in the group every day. There's something new and we look forward to seeing everything that you guys share. 
thank you all for continuing to participate in our Facebook group and just our, the cozy community that you've developed. And we're really just lucky to be a part of ourselves. So thank you for all of your support. And I'm already looking forward to coming back with fresh new episodes in September with brand new cozy topics that we have never even thought to cover yet. Yes, we cannot wait. And thank you for standing by us throughout these three years, which is wild. Until then, stay Stay cozy. cozy.